seen a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. But how, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, you've never seen one. I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. Video Nasty's podcast. My name's Christopher Brown. I'm always reminded when I think about Phantasm of a theatre show, like a one-man show from Mark Kermode, the um, the film critic that he attended in Liverpool. Maybe, oh, I don't know, must be 10, 12 years ago. As I remember it, I mean, he was probably selling a book, and it's you know a book of the anecdotes that he comes out, he comes out with all the time, and um, it gets to the Q and A section, and I find Q and A's excruciating at the best of times. But anyway, moving on, he stands in front of everybody, <clears throat> and uh, one lad, and I'll put an accent on for this, um, calls up, stands up, and asks his question, which was, "Mark, Mark, we phantasm, what's that about?" Now, Mark Holmes had not spoken about Phantasm at all during that, that, that theatre set. And I can only assume that the fella's gone, watched it and gone, I don't fucking get this, I need to fucking ask an expert. So, so today, let's, uh, let's try and tell you, hey, what's Phantasm about? Is it a nightmare? Phantasm. Is it an illusion? Phantasm. Is it an evil? Take me home. What, what? No questions. You must take me home. Phantasm. Is it a fantasy? released in 1979 phantasm is american sci-fi horror film if you don't know 
uh, directed, written, photographed, and edited by Don Cossarelli. And it is the opening film of a five-movie, um, what's well, a box set, isn't it? You know, you buy Phantasm on its own, you buy all of them together. Um, five-movie story. Um, it's about, on its core level, a supernatural, interdimensional, potentially, undertaker who turns the devil of Earth into dwarf zombies and sends them to his planet to be used as slaves. That's the mystery. Ernie is uh, opposed by a young boy called Mike, played by Michael Baldwin, Uh, his older brother Jody, played by Bill Thornbury, and a family friend called Reggie, who's played by Reggie Bannister. The film is uh, renowned for being surreal, unusual, and uh, fun. And it's got more than a cult reputation now. And it is, uh, it's definitely a, a considered a classic. Mainly because, I think, for two reasons, myself. One is that it's so surreal and weird and dreamlike. And the other part of it is because Phantasm is a labour of love. Scottarelli... Um, basically realises that a film he'd made before called Kenny and Company had got great reactions in the jumps, jump shots. I was thinking to myself, oh, maybe I could do a horror film. Um, they seem to do well and would make money and, you know, that's all good. Um, so originally he wanted some, to do Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury, that book, but the book had already been optioned and eventually became a Disney film, in fact. So what he did was he took various elements of the same kind of idea of a young boy who isn't really believed by anybody um, which is, um, you know, you could take that themes from the classic 1953 sci-fi film, Invaders from Mars surrealism and bright, unusual imagery from Suspiria which we'll talk about further on in this podcast run and a synth soundtrack which was influenced by Goblin and Mike Holdfield. The film was made as the money came in, and Cassatelli reckoned that it probably came in about $300,000, although there weren't actually any accountants on set for it. Some of the money came from the director's father, who's credited as the film's producer. And in the same way when we spoke about Evil Dead's financing, that it came from you know doctors and lawyers who wanted to you know, bit invest in in a movie. They did that. It was a family affair, and I say a labour of love. Cassatelli's mother uh, designed some of the makeup effects, the costumes, and the special effects. And the cast and crew were filled with family friends, professionals at the start of their career, and generally even to the point that um, it's amateurishness or it's... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's laying on the job would be a better way to put it, I think, considering the film does not feel amateurish at the end, is um, around things like the, the fact that um, Cossarelli uh, set fire to his, uh, his coat from a shotgun blast, which was firing blanks. Obviously, that does, in my mind, remind me of Evil Dead, maybe, you know, years later, a few years later, but obviously, which involved 
firing live shotgun rounds into windows and such like for the effect shots. And the filming lasted over a year. Um, and, was, and that was mainly because it was done at weekends because you need people to be able to come in, you know. And one of the reasons why the film is so surreal and dreamlike is that it was written on the fly. So that, and that, I suppose, in some ways, and, and obviously filmed very much, you know, when people are available. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, you think about some of the shots at the beginning of the film in the graveyard against some of the shots in the middle of the film and then obviously the, the big show with the, the dwarf stuff and the, the bright room and the, the dimension jumping and then the um, you know the jump scare at the end um, none of it feel you know they, they're all so different and I think but that kind of benefits the film I suppose because it's it's not structured maybe but it's it, you know, it, it has a a narrative that keeps you moving between stuff and, and topsy-turvy. Another reason why the film has this kind of dream logic is that when he originally made the film, it was too long and tested poorly uh, with people going, there's, there's, there's too much stuff in this, you know, and the character development um, didn't really help the story. So the problem is, of course, when you edit some of that stuff out, you need to <laughs> basically jump people to different bits and that's what he does. And indeed, at the end... There wasn't a clear idea about what the ending would be, so um, so he filmed multiple different versions, and then um, picked the one he liked. Uh, indeed, um, the ending for one of those endings actually is in Phantasm Four. So I think when you look at it, and you think about um, you know what it's about, it's interesting the themes between mourning, as in you know grief. And death. And it has a it cut through to a lot of younger people. Um and I think that's partly because of the young protagonist. I think the tall man played by um Angus Scrim represents in the film a general fear of not just the themes of death of the outside world in young men and it's a very masculine story and a fear of adults and you know the size of him you know could easily be seen from a childlike point of view and so we get this kind of idea of you know uncertainty there could be like an almost fearful afterlife in terms of you know what the undertaker what the tall man does and how that and, and and you know his his plans, which are surreal and strange, and everything's fractured because you don't understand what's really going on, and the film doesn't really make much of, a, of an attempt to truly explain itself. And I think that all becomes very clear in terms of trying to process what's happening in the world through a young man's eyes, and through an element of a surrealism and dreamlike horror around death but but more than that distrust and, and concern is 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 its end and it's right at the end and its final jump scare where you know effectively all these concerns and worries engulf 
the child in a scene that doesn't make a huge amount of sense, but does have a a dreamlike, nightmarish quality too. And I think that little bit right at the end just clicks all the boxes in terms of what the story's about. And because it's so it's so determinately not willing to give its secrets away, and you feel like a little bit like you're looking at the sides all the time, you know, when you think about you know, the, the, the sphere that drills into people's heads. This is kind of like a guard dog, I suppose, a technological security device. It's such a an odd element for the storytelling and yet works so well. You know, what is happening here and, and the risks and dangers which are so graphic. And of course, right at the end, you think to yourself, you know, is all this happening in the heads of a lad who is being traumatised? So the film was released um, in March in 1979 and it was released by ABCO Embassy Pictures, which at the time were looking for horror films they could release. Um, and um, the reviews were, were mixed, I think it's fair to say. Can I say in, um, I think what we saw from the reactions was that this is confusing all over the shop. Potentially a bit much in terms of, you know, what's going on. Is this actually well made? You know, those kind of questions you might ask yourself. However, it's so impressive. It is incredibly impressive. And that kind of permeated a lot of the reviews. Obviously now, you know, in a five box set, Phantasm 1, Stands out as being a um, a landmark in its own right, you know. You know, it it it, it makes the top one hundred best horror film lists. Um, it makes the top twenty best horror film lists, best scares, as well. And you know, even oddly, um, Captain Phasma from uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens is. Um, Named uh, because of the chrome nature of the um, of the outfit as um, a baddie, basically is <laughs> the one of the baddies in Star Wars. If if you've not seen that one, um, and as his chrome outfit, and that that and JJ Abrams called the character Captain Phasma because it just looked like the that that the the silver killing ball that's in this film. Don Cosarelli, born in fifty four. Um, obviously his credits include a number of the Phantasm films uh, Beastmaster and Bubba Hotep he was raised in Southern California became interested in the industry in the film industry made a number, a couple of low budget films before then, Jim the World's Greatest and Kenny and Company which was the film that kind of sparked the idea that Phantasm would be a goer he also made The Beastmaster in 82 um, Bubba Hotep which is um Another kind of surreal, fun film. Um, and John Dies at the End, which is a uh, an adaptation of, of a book, uh, which again plays up to its, its weirdness, um, as, which you might and might not get into. He can just do straight horror, though. He did Instant On and Off a Mountain Road as part of the massive horror TV series, which is like a 50-minute uh, horror story, which is very solidly just good scares um, and quite exciting and action-packed. I suppose 
Angus Scrim, who died, um, oh, it's like five years ago now, in uh, aged uh, eighty nine. At his at his heart is kind of like the 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 thing that pins all this together. You know, I mean, the story, as you've already said, might be about a young lad dealing with grief or, or his concerns for the outside world or his lack of understanding of what's going on. But people are buying this movie for a killer spherical chrome ball that drills bores into people's heads and Angus Scrim going, boy! So, um, you know, Scrim was uh, a journalist originally, wrote it for TV Guide and um, for the Los Angeles Herald Examiner and then kind of... Um, did bits and bobs um, doing supporting roles in the early 70s before being cast in this film because he was tall, six foot four. Um, and then he wore suits that were too small and platform shoes to make him even bigger. Um, and because of this role, it kind of kicked him into being able to do regular TV and film work. So um, while he was in bits and bobs and in Jim, Jim the World's Greatest as well, which is that first um, film that uh, Cassarelli did he you know he did this then Chopin Mall as well Subspecies um, Wishmaster in 97 as the narrator and very and, you know, various other bits and bobs and he, you know, very much within that kind of horror um, genre um, so you know while in the past he was a writer by the, by the time you know he got into his uh, so later in life um, he was uh, very much a, you know, a horror icon. The film itself has never really had that many uh, censorship issues in the in the UK. So the film had scenes cut out of it. Um, allegedly, these were cut for for to get it in our rating. But certainly one of those scenes is a different version of, it's one of these different alt endings, which is now in the, uh, which is now in, 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 um, Phantasm 4. The other one involves a banging from, in a, in a coffin. These, um, all these, um, these scenes are, are available to watch if you have any of the DVD or the Blu-ray releases. Uh, so you can go and just check out the deleted scenes, you know. Um, and indeed the, Additional like extra stuff as well, like the all the, the this longer version of Phantasm, which has more character developments, just doesn't exist anymore. It's just not not part of that 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 show anymore. You know, it's not, there's not there isn't the interest to create like a longer you know director's cut because the director's cut is the cut that we have today. Anyway, the film was released in the UK for cinema release on cut 1979. Got released as. Um, and it's had various releases since uh, on VCI, Guild. It, Anchor Bay did a nice um, DVD in 2005. At that point, it became a 15. And then is now released again as a Blu-ray on uh, on Amazon. Um, which, you know, limited edition, but it's it's available. It's available all over the shop. I think it might be on Arrow Player. It's, I think it's on Shudder. Um, I'm certainly be able to rent it on Prime. This is not a hard to get hold of film. <laughs> I have to say, I was relatively late to the party. I was not one of these 15 year olds that watched this movie and head fell off and thought it was a work of genius. Um, and when I did get to it, 
I think a lot of that kind of creepy late night frills um, had possibly gone for me, which was a shame. But um, it's such a technically impressive feat, you know, feature uh, made on such a low budget. And I think when you can, you know, for me, it compares very favorably to to original Evil Dead in terms of you know people going to a location and just working and working and working over a period of time to create something that they particularly think is you know special and important. Um, and if you've not seen it, if for some reason you think the weird, you know, the hard to penetrate. Um, surreal dreamlike film about uh, a tall bloke that was made for buttons isn't for you uh, but you're the type of person that will listen to this podcast I would recommend seeking it out there have been many terrifying films but there has never been anything quite like this it could be the most shocking experience of your life Phantasm. The ultimate in terror. If this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. Phantasm. Rated R. Anyway, uh, thanks very much for listening. If you want to get hold of me, please do. My email address is videonastiespodcast at gmail.com. You can get me on Twitter at orange underscore monkey. Or you can go to the website, lastterrorpodcast.com or videonastiespodcast.com and leave a message on any of the uh, stories on there and I will see them and pick them up and uh, talk to you about them. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we discussed... The um, Stuart from uh, Britflex podcast, who uh, I was part of his pre-England football match um, warm-ups. And his Twitter handle is at Leighton Rocks. That's Leighton like in London, L-E-Y-T-O-N. Um, and he said that, he, you know, he didn't do the, he didn't listen to the podcast for uh, the final. So obviously we can all, if you know, don't blame it on anybody else. Blame it on on Stuart. Um, let's not get into fucking England football fans, shall we? Uh, not 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 you, Stuart. Just generally fucking hell, this country. Anyway, um, next week we are going to talk about another sci-fi horror film um, from the sublime to the ridiculous, Night Beast from nineteen eighty-two. So, until then, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. I have never seen a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you ever seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film.